Hello Sobertown. Welcome to Sobertown Podcast. This is Todd Crafter. I'm a blog and podcast contributor at SobertownPodcast.com. My areas of training are in exercise science and health science and I work in the allied health and fitness fields in southern Australia. The team and I at SobertownPodcast.com are creating content to help to inform about, to understand and to navigate an alcohol-free lifestyle. So if any of our podcasts resonate with you, please spread the word so we can reach as many people as possible. Visit SobertownPodcast.com to see a broad range of sober living resources. Today's podcast is called Your Body on Booze, The Liver. So today we jump back in our tiny submarine and travel through the bloodstream and to the liver to observe the magnificence and incredible durability of this unique organ we possess, the liver. Buckle up and on we go. To begin, let's start with the basics. Where is your liver? Now, I would hazard a guess and say most drinkers probably know that the liver is located on your right side within the abdomen. It looks like a wedge or kind of like a cone. To be honest, it kind of just looks like a red-brown lump wedged between the diaphragm which sits above it like a ceiling and the stomach below it. If you see it outside the body in an anatomy lab, it it looks quite ugly and misshapen with all of its contours and blobby shapes, like it just wants to crawl off the table and head off in search of something to destroy. But liver monsters aside, the liver roughly follows the outline of the right lower rib cage. So it sits behind the protection of these lower right ribs. The liver sits roughly from the area of the right nipple, depending on how low they might be on your chest, and extends down to around the level of the lowest rib on the right. This is the broad side of the liver. Then it extends to a narrow pointed end an inch or two across the midline. As a rough indication, point at your right nipple. Then draw a line straight down to about the level of the lowest rib, which is about two inches above the belly button level. Done that? Okay, now draw a line from there toward the left nipple, but stop about an inch or two before getting to that left nipple. Then draw straight back to the start across to the right nipple. So that very roughly is where your liver sits inside your body. So the liver is actually quite a large organ. It weighs around 1.5 kilograms, or that's about three and a quarter pounds, depending on where you live. The liver is actually considered a gland, and unsurprisingly, it takes the crown for being the largest gland in the body, and it takes the trophy for being the heaviest organ in the body on average. Though the brain's quite heavy also, the liver beats it on averages. So take that brain. Sure, the skin is considered an organ, depending on who you ask, and it is the largest, but put the skin aside, give it to the liver for now. So next, picture a pint glass. Now, in your mind, fill the glass with blood. So that's about how much blood is flowing around the liver at any one time, processing about 10 to 15% of your blood at all times, which is quite a lot. So the liver is a big, heavy brown lump in your right side abdomen. Great, but what does it do? How does it process alcohol? And what happens to it if we forget to take care of it? So all these questions and more, we will answer. 
However, depending on which research or textbook you look at, has around or up to 500 functions. And yes, you heard correctly, it's 500. So no, it does not exist to process alcohol, just, just alcohol alone. It, it does a grand amount more than this. Now, the liver is divided into sections such as right and left lobes, and more when viewed from below. But for the sake of this, let's just say the liver has defined sections. And it also has impressions and molded shapes to allow it to fit with the surrounding organs and tissues happily. This is what makes it so sort of globular and contorted when we look at it outside the body. So Sabertown, let's pull up our sub and get a really close look. We're going to zoom right in and look at the microscopic functional units of the liver now so we can see what they look like and what they do. So as we zoom in to any of the lobes of the liver, we see what are called hepatic lobules. And these are a beautiful structure, far prettier to see up close than the liver as a whole. So imagine each lobule like this, remembering that the lobule is the functional unit of the liver. So we have a hexagon, a six-sided three-dimensional shape. And in the middle of this hexagon is a pipe extending through the hexagon. At the outside of the hexagon, at each of the six points, there are also three smaller pipes running up and down in the same direction as the pipe that's going through the middle of that hexagon. So three at each point of the hexagonal shape. So you have a hexagon, a main pipe running up and down through the middle of it, and at each point on the outside of the hexagon, three smaller pipes also running up and down. Between the main central pipe and the outside pipes, there are tiny vessels like the roots of a tree running through the hexagonal structure all throughout it. Now this is what the functional unit of the liver called a lobule looks like when we zoom in. The central pipe I mentioned is a vein called the interlobular vein. The outside pipes are the portal venule, and a venule is just a smaller vein, the portal arteriole, again, arteriole is just a smaller version of an artery, and a bile duct. These three pipes together are called the portal triad, just in case you were wondering, but don't stress the particulars. So to summarize, the lobule is kind of like a hexagonal shape with blood vessels and bile duct running through it <clears throat> and around it to feed in and out everything needed for the job to be done. Or let's anthropomorphize the liver cells because that's one of my favorite things to do. Think of it, the lobule, think of the lobule like a big recycling plant. So let's zoom in to this tiny lobule so closely that it looks the size of a giant building, like a big hexagonal recycling plant. And you are standing right out the front of this huge recycling plant. You look at the corners of the hexagonal building and you see the big three pipes running from the ground up to the roof. You walk inside the front door and you see they have conveyors in feeding in mixed rubbish. You have conveyors taking out sorted recycling goods and conveyors dumping the non-recyclable stuff and all running constantly, conveyors just running back and forth everywhere. And these conveyors are everywhere and running at all different levels in and out of the building. You look to the centre of the giant recycling plant 
and there is one huge pipe running through the middle of that building from the floor to the ceiling which shuttles out the recycled goods. It's the good stuff ready to be put back into circulation. So in this recycling plant there are people everywhere sorting and breaking down garbage, reconfiguring items and these people are standing in a neat row all along the sides, each side of the conveyor belts, side by side, with no real gaps between them. Now each of these people, these workers, they have a big tool belt on, in which they have a massive amount of special tools made to break down each type of garbage coming into them. These workers represent the live cells called the hepatocytes, and their tools represent enzymes which take the compounds in your blood, such as ethanol, and break them down to other compounds. This giant recycling plant is a highly active place, taking whatever comes in, processing it, and sending it back out in a different state. This is like a giant version of just one lobule, of which we have thousands in our liver, each doing their bit to process and recycle the blood to break down the muck, sort the junk, and send back for reuse. Now, let's zoom back out. Back, back, back we go. And as we zoom out, we see our recycling plant or lobule get smaller and smaller. But then we see that plant is surrounded by more recycling plants. Surrounded, above, below, left, right, recycling plants at all sides. We zoom out further and they get smaller and we see lobules as far as the eye can see, connected all around each other. Each lobe of the liver having thousands of these little plants or lobules, and each working as hard as one another and connecting to one another, shuttling goods from one to the next. So as we zoom out far enough to see the liver as a whole again, as just the big lump that it is, we can now appreciate that although we can't see them from this far away, there are thousands of lobules, aka recycling plants, in there. And within these lobules are millions of little workers lined up along the feed-in and feed-out and working to clean the blood. This is our ultimate internal filter. So when somebody says, I'm taking a special tea or a special diet to detox, well, guess what? I hate to break it to them, but it ain't tea or diet which is detoxifying anything. Your liver is doing that constantly. It is a detox machine. The trick is simply to not feed it poison so often that it can't cope. You do that and you have yourself a constant and highly effective detox all day, every day, with thousands upon thousands of recycling plants called lobules and in each of these thousands of plants is millions of workers called hepatocytes doing the work to make the plants run well. It's amazing. So let's zoom back out now, now that we know that the liver has a huge distance of veins feeding the lobules from the intestines and spleen, arteries feeding it oxygenated blood, and a system of bile ducts to take away the processed and manufactured bile and send it to the gallbladder. But let's look at bile now briefly. Our liver creates something called bile, which drains through the bile ducts out of the lobules 
and to the outside common bile duct. And then this bile is either drained into the gallbladder for storage and then when needed to a section of the intestine called the duodenum. Or it just gets stored in the gallbladder until we eat and need it. So if you ever wondered where the gallbladder is and what the heck it does, well, it's underneath the liver and it stores the bile made by the liver. But why? So bile is helpful in the digestion of fats. Think of it this way. When you see fat, such as animal fat or oil in your sink or in water, it globs up. It doesn't clean easily, right? In, in fact, fat in our intestines is the same. It's not easy for the body to digest or process. So bile acts as a surfactant, kind of like detergent would in the sink, which means it allows the fat to be mixed more effectively within the fluids around it. The bile acts like detergent and lowers the surface tension of the fat so they can mix in and be absorbed. Bile will be stored in the gallbladder and then discharged into the small intestine when we eat so it can do its job. Bile is a greeny, yellowy, brown sort of liquid. Bile mainly contains salts, fats and something called bilirubin. Now bilirubin is the important ingredient here. So bilirubin is a breakdown product of old red blood cells which are past their use by date and ready to be retired. This is important with regards to alcohol. You've probably heard or of or perhaps even experienced jaundice. That is yellowing of the whites of the eyes and the skin. And this occurs when we have too much of that thing called bilirubin accumulated in our body. In fact, Bilirubin is responsible for multiple forms of colouring of us. Bilirubin is responsible for the yellowish colour which comes out in bruises. It can cause yellow eyes or skin in jaundice when we have certain disease states. Bilirubin also has breakdown products which contribute to the colour of poo and more breakdown products that cause the straw yellow colour of urine. So yeah, thanks for all the yellow, Bilirubin. Before we move into more depth about how alcohol consumption affects the liver, let's summarise some of the major functions our liver has fairly briefly because this can be very broad of a topic. But our liver is a major manufacturing site within our body. It takes compounds and builds many types of proteins, proteins which circulate in our blood, proteins that clot our blood when we injure ourselves, it makes proteins which help with transport through the bloodstream and it makes proteins which enhance the ability of the immune system. Our liver cells create their own prote proteins and their own enzymes within also. The liver makes and excretes bile, as I've already explained. The liver resists infections and removes pathogens and bacteria from the blood. The liver takes excess glucose, sugar, from the blood and it converts it to something called glycogen, then stores it within its own cells. It can then take this glycogen, which is stored away, and convert it back to glucose to fuel our body when we need it. The liver cells store significant amounts of vitamins also. It stores vitamins A, vitamin D, vitamin E and K, and vitamin B12, as well as storing iron and copper, which is also a very handy function. So one of the most vital functions the liver provides us though is filtration. It filters our blood and removes toxins, poisons, junk. It removes and breaks down what we do not want to be in our system. 
And one of these poisons that breaks down for us is ethanol, aka alcohol. So these are very summarized functions of our liver, but as mentioned, it has over 500 functions in total, and many of these are vital for life. The liver is a diverse workhorse of a body machine. So let's move forward to look at alcohol in relation to the liver. You drink, ethanol is absorbed through the gastrointestinal system, and it heads to the liver through the portal vein. Time to go to work, lobules, because this stuff needs to be processed as fast as it can be. The desired psychoactive effects of alcohol are unfortunately created alongside a rough time for the liver cells. The ethanol hits the functional units of the liver and they grab the tool from their belt named alcohol dehydrogenase. This enzyme allows the liver cells to break down the ethanol compound into something called acetaldehyde. Now I've created a whole podcast about acetaldehyde. It is seriously bad stuff. So please go back and listen to this podcast too. Acetaldehyde is a terrible compound. It's a carcinogen and very harmful to the body. From there, the liver cells use another enzyme and they break down acetaldehyde to more safe compounds such as acetate. Your liver's recycling plants, the lobules and its workers, they have a certain limit to their abilities. They can process ethanol at a certain rate and clear it. When we exceed this limit, which is variable between each of us, is when we begin to harm the liver. When the liver is forced to process too much ethanol, more than it can handle, the cells are unable to handle the amounts of aldehydes being created. And then the first change we see is usually a fatty liver. This is very much as it sounds. Recall the workers within the recycling plants. These are the liver cells. And when fatty changes occurs in the liver, these workers, the liver cells, accumulate fats called liposomes inside them around their nucleus, which is at the center of their cell. This is the early stages of fatty change, where the cells accumulate small fatty droplets inside of them kind of like a worker being forced to wear a weight vest as they go about their day. Later though, when the fatty change worsens, the size of these fatty deposits in the cells increases and they become so large that they can push the nucleus of the cell aside and can even form large fatty cysts. These can then be seen on imaging such as MRI, and in some cases, but not all cases, we can see elevated liver enzymes within the blood. This can be picked up through blood testing. Often when the liver is fatty, the person will note tiredness and a dull pain over the right upper abdomen where the liver resides. But this is not always the case. Fatty change can occur in complete absence of elevated enzymes or pain as a silent problem. And in fact, this is often how it presents. So why does this happen? One of the many roles of the liver is the processing of fatty acids in the body. And this process is hindered when we overconsume alcohol, leading to the fatty change. As fatty change in the liver progresses, we may see increasing inflammation within the liver. And this increases it as it leads to the liver cell's death. 
So the millions of workers in the recycling plant, when there is too much fatty change in the liver, these workers are forced to work with heavier and heavier weight vests on, and eventually they cannot cope. They fall down and they die. There's too much fatty change within them and they just die. Now when these cells begin to die, what happens is the next stage of liver disease because where they die, there are cells which live in the liver called stellate cells and they come in and they form scar tissue where the dead hepatocytes or workers should be. Now this unfortunately is permanent. The scarring should not be there. Working cells should be there side by side, but instead the liver develops more and more scar tissue called fibrosis where the workers have died. Now this is not good. Fatty liver change occurs in most heavy drinkers. Around 90% of heavy drinkers will develop a fatty liver. Interestingly, fatty change in the liver can be seen after even one very heavy drinking session. Now a disclaimer now. I'm not a medical doctor or providing medical advice of any type in these podcasts. However, a fatty liver has been shown to be improved by a reduction of uh, caloric intake, exercise, and generally healthy lifestyle choices in diet, weight loss, vitamin E intake, which can be found in nuts, seeds, and green leafy vegetables, and most importantly, stop drinking alcohol. Because until that part occurs, the rest may be in vain. While fatty change occurs generally earlier, some drinkers experience alcoholic hepatitis. This simply means inflammation of the liver. Yes, there are several types of hepatitis, including that caused by viral means, but one type of hepatitis is simply due to alcohol consumption. Sufferers of hepatitis more often have a long history of quite heavy consumption, and it's usually associated with fatty liver changes also. Where alcoholic hepatitis occurs, the hepatocytes, the, the liver cells, or as we covered, you can think of them as the workers in the recycling plants, they swell up with water, protein and fats, which should be transported out into the blood, but they get stuck in the cell and the cells blow up, causing impingement of the flow of bile and ducts, and can often, often these cells will die then. And when they die, the debris left behind attracts immune cells called neutrophils, which come in and gobble up the debris like Pac-Man. But ordinarily, this job should be done by other cells in the liver, and the neutrophils should not be there. Pac-Man should stay away. Alcoholic hepatitis is very serious and needs medical care ASAP. And those with hepatitis caused by chronic drinking are also at risk, at risk of cirrhosis, infections, and cancer. Sorry to be a downer, but this is just what can happen in long-term drinkers. Hepatitis is often associated with ascites, which is swelling of the abdomen with fluid due to increased pressure in the portal vein, which feeds the liver. So the vein which supplies the liver, the portal vein, hepatitis is often associated also with jaundice. As we discussed earlier, when the bilirubin is not processed and accumulates in the blood, causing yellowing of the skin and eyes. Management of alcoholic hepatitis is medical and very serious, ranging from medications to early transplant. Obviously, alcohol abstinence is vital here, 
Again, this is not medical advice, simply information. We already covered how the liver can become essentially scarred, where the scar tissue replaces the worker cells who die in a process called fibrosis. Now, if this is allowed to occur for a long duration, for example, months, years, even decades, then gradually the worker cells, the hepatocytes, are slowly replaced with scar tissue, fibrosis, as I covered. And do you know what good scar tissue does where there is supposed to be working liver cells? Nothing, nothing, none, it's useless. This turns functioning liver tissue into dead scar tissue. If we allow this to continue over time, more and more tissue becomes scarred and less and less hepatocytes remain to do the work. The workers lined up along the conveyor belts, they die one by one and get replaced with a cardboard cutout or a fake replacement, which does absolutely nothing. Scar tissue. Essentially, this is what cirrhosis is. It's excessive scarring where the liver cells have packed up and died, causing the liver to function poorly, very poorly. So what symptoms might you experience in cirrhosis? Early side effects of cirrhosis can be tiredness, weakness, loss of appetite, unexplained weight loss, nausea, vomiting, abdominal discomfort, and more. Later effects might include itchiness, swelling in the lower extremity, abdominal fluid buildup, jaundice, aka yellowing, easily bruising, and spider veins. Sobertown, this is sobering, but liver cirrhosis is very serious. It's irreversible, and if left untreated and habits continue for too long, it may lead to the only option left, which is liver transplant. This is a whole other kettle of fish. Organ transplant is a huge deal, and somebody close to me has experienced this process. Unless you know somebody who has been through the process of organ transplant, you can't begin to understand the extreme effects it has on your whole life in terms of management of both physical and mental aspects of health post-surgery. Okay, wow. So alcohol really does do terrible things long-term, especially to the state of the liver. It damages those thousands of little recycling pants to the point at which the workers are running around with fire extinguish extinguishers, putting out fires, and alarms are going off while a big immune cell monsters are stomping around, making a mess. Truly zoom in and see your liver cells and lobules. They are amazing, but they need your care. You can keep them optimal or destroy them with ethanol. Now, some positive news. I think that last period was a little, let's say, scary. The liver has an incredible durability. It can do what other organs cannot. The liver is the only organ which is capable of regeneration of lost tissue. That, my friends, is great news. This part is amazing. As little as half of the liver can regenerate to a whole liver, and some studies suggest even just a quarter is capable of this feat. Think about that. So how? The liver does not actually truly regenerate in terms of growing back like a salamander with a cut-off tail. For example, if we lop off a lobe of the liver, it doesn't regrow technically, but what it can do is a form of compensatory growth. 
What this means is that the hepatocytes, that is the liver cells or the workers, can enter into a phase when necessary where they undergo mitosis, which is also known as just cell division, and they create daughter cells. So basically they multiply. Essentially, the liver can replace the damaged areas with remaining cells. Because the liver compensates and does not actually perfectly regrow, it does not reassume its original shape or structure perfectly. But as imperfect as it may be, it does work in the same way and the cells function fine. Here's the bad news. Yeah, there's always bad news when it comes to alcohol. The liver can regenerate incredibly with a single event such as a trauma or a single toxic event such as drug-induced toxicity. As I said, to the point at which it can literally have half of its lobe lopped off and it can compensate back to full function. But unfortunately, alcohol destroys the liver bit by bit. It causes fibrosis and scar tissue to develop gradually over time and because of this, the scar tissue spreads and spreads and the liver will not repair in the same manner as it might had there been a single toxic or traumatic event. It is not reversible. Cirrhosis is there to stay. Alcohol is so damaging over time that when it scars the liver, the organ which can regenerate after a physical injury, it cannot adequately repair. From what I have seen, sometimes it is bandied about that the liver is able to regenerate, regrow, or repair to an incredible degree. And this for some serves as justification to allow taking the liver to a harmful point with drinking alcohol with the mindset of, well, the liver is incredible, incredibly resilient and can take a pounding and regenerate. So even if I take it too far, it will repair if I stop when it gets to this point. So. Yes, the liver is incredibly durable and yes, it is able to essentially regrow through compensatory growth. But no, if damaged over time with alcohol causing scar tissue throughout the lobules, no. In fact, the same incredible repair won't happen. It is what it is. Alcohol use over time is able to destroy one of the most incredible durable organs we possess. And we only own one of them. I felt it necessary to dispel this myth about taking the liver to the brink with booze and having it complete a full repair through abstinence. As with most aspects of health, it is best not to wait for the alarm bells to ring, because once they do, it can be too late in many cases. So damn, right? Okay, but good news. When the damage from alcohol stops, the liver damage from alcohol stops wherever it may be. The scarring and cell death stops. But the alcohol has to stop. Cirrhosis and fibrosis may not be reversible, but these are the later stages of alcohol damage. Fatty change in the liver can be reversed. Inflammation can be improved. The rate of healing will depend on how healthy the lifestyle is and how far along the damage was. But fatty change can be reversed. So this is great. Time is now to slow the change. What needs to happen though is abstinence. Not moderation, abstinence. And yes, this can be challenging when we're referring to an addictive, psychoactive drug. But it can be done. And Sobertown, we are doing it. Whether it takes months of day zeros or sticks right away, 
We all have our journey to a sober life, but when we dedicate adequate work and planning to it, we do it. We make it and on we go. The trick when it comes to protecting your body is this. Learn from the physiology. Learn from the millions of others who left it too long. Plan the transition to come about before you do the damage. Wherever you're at, whatever age you're at, whatever damage may be present, it does not matter. As long as you stop poisoning the liver, and the sooner the better. That is not preaching, it is fact. Alcohol harms our liver, it kills our workers, and it trashes our recycling plants. And the earlier your liver is able to, to do its job without being bombarded by carcinogenic chemicals, the healthier it will be into the future. Having no functional liver is incompatible with life. Unfortunately, we cannot make an artificial one yet. Dialysis is only good for so long. And so when the liver gives up, there's only really one option. Um, it's to take someone else's. So you might be sitting there thinking, okay, so what level of drinking is going to excuse me from these rather horrible changes? Well, the thing is, firstly, there are many factors involved from age, gender, genetics, which determine your enzymes and their functionality, weight and other conditions. The other interesting point is that some of these conditions are notable in those who do not necessarily drink very high levels or for many, many years. Fatty change, for example, can begin very rapidly and progress in people who consume only a few drinks a day regularly. The safe levels of consumption to avoid these changes are very low. For example, in my country, the current recommendation is no more than 10 standard drinks per week or four per session. So in all honesty, that means if you drink one bottle of wine per week and more than one glass in a sitting, then you truly are pushing up against that safe limit, which seems crazy, but it's true. With that said, many problems such as increased risk of breast cancer have been noted in moderate drinkers and not only heavy drinkers. Fact is, the risk is present for multiple conditions with relatively low levels of drinking and over time, moderate or high levels of drinking are very real risk of many disease states occurring as we age. Sobertown, picture in your mind that big hexagonal recycling plant with the huge pipe through the middle and the conveyors throughout its interior. Picture all those workers lined up side by side along the conveyor belts. Picture them working non-stop, taking garbage, breaking it into pieces to place on another conveyor belt with the tools in their belt. Now zoom back out to see the liver. You may not be able to visually see the liver's cells inside these little recycling plants of which you have thousands in your liver alone, but they are there and they are living cells. They are part of you. You have the choice whether to overwork or perhaps kill them to reach a different mind state briefly or to allow them to do their hundreds of, of tasks. Say good day to your liver and say thank you to that ugly brown lump under your ribs. Or perhaps say sorry. I have. It's a remarkable piece of living machinery and I would say it is the ultimate filtration unit. It can take a pounding and it can regenerate after being sliced in half. But there is one enemy to the liver especially long-term, that is alcohol. Give the big lumpy filter a break. 
pour the poison down the sink. Sobertown, you can do this. You can stop the effects of alcohol before they happen or before they get worse. And we are all here cheering you on. Thanks, Sobertown. I'll catch you later.